Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash nocturnal. Chapter 37 Pookie Phones a Friend Sweat started to pool in Pookie's armpits. Carrying a grown man up four flights of stairs was a surprising and unwelcome workout. His stupid partner needed to find an apartment with an elevator that worked. Brian, Brian, if you puke on me, I'm going to punch you in the taint. Brian mumbled something unintelligible. He didn't weigh all that much, maybe 170, but the guy could barely walk. Brian was sweating, too but from a fever as opposed to exhaustion. Pookie was making bad choices, and he knew it. Helping Brian up to his apartment? This guy could be a killer. Not a sniper from 50 yards kind of killer, but rather the type that tears a kid's arm off and paints pretty pictures with it. They reached the fourth floor. Legs exhausted, undershirt sticking to his sweaty skin. Pookie half helped, half dragged Brian to the door. Come on, Brian, try to walk. Sorry, Brian said. Man, I heard all over. You sure you don't want me to call an ambulance? Brian shook his head. Just sick as all. He dug into his pocket for his keys, tried to unlock the door with a shaking hand. Pookie had to take the keys and do it for him. Just sick, Brian repeated as they stepped inside. Feel like the inside of a donkey's butthole. Live donkey or dead donkey? Dead. Ah, yes, Pookie said. I hate that feeling. Tell me about it. Let me go. Going to bed. Pookie slowly released his hold on Brian. Brian made it three steps before he stumbled over one of the dozens of unpacked boxes cluttering the small hallway. Pookie stepped in quick and slid under Brian's shoulder, stabilizing him. Wow, Brian, unpacked much? I'm getting to it. Pookie helped Brian around the boxes and into the small bedroom. It had to be a little bit of a shock to move from Robin's spacious two-bedroom apartment to this tiny one-bedroom affair. But six months on and he still hadn't fully settled in? Brian had set up the TV and the couch, hung up his all-black wardrobe, and that was apparently all the guy needed. Pookie gently hip-tossed Brian into the bed. Brian opened one puffy bloodshot eye. You gonna undress me, Daddy? Don't think so, fag. Homophobe. And proud of it, Pookie said. Bible's pretty clear on that one, big guy. I'm whipped, brother. So either you get naked on your own or you sleep in your clothes. Brian didn't answer. Just like that, he'd already fallen asleep. Pookie felt sweat cooling on his forehead. He wiped the sweat away with his hand, then wiped his hand on Brian's pant leg. Whatever bug Brian had... Pookie now surely had it as well. Pookie stared down at his partner. He wasn't going to leave Brian alone tonight, that was for sure. Besides, if someone was somehow putting thoughts into Brian's head, they sure weren't beaming them in with a magic wand. Had to be something in the apartment. While Brian slept, Pookie would tear the place apart. Brian's Sig Sauer was still in its shoulder holster. Pookie gently pulled the firearm free. Then he took the C-camp wallet from Brian's back pocket, 
Best not to leave him with knives, either. Pookie pulled the combat knife from the forearm sheath, and finally gently removed the twitch knife from Brian's belt. Who wore a knife right next to their jimmy beans? Psycho killers, that's who. Pookie looked at the pile of weapons in his hands and couldn't help wondering if one of those knives might have cut open Oscar Woody's belly. Two things sat on the nightstand next to Brian's bed. A small framed picture showing Brian, Robin, and her dog, Emma, and a cheap spiral-bound notebook. The notebook was open to a drawing. A drawing of a triangle and a circle, with a smaller circle in the middle, a slashed curve beneath. Pookie walked into the kitchenette and set the arsenal on the small table. Brian just couldn't have done that horrible thing. Couldn't have. Pookie was playing games with people's lives. Brian Clouser was a goddamn suspect, yet Pookie was acting like his nursemaid. If only he could look deeper into Brian's soul. Maybe there was one person who could do just that. Brian's fridge held some leftover pizza, some leftover Chinese, half a leftover burrito, and one Sapporo. Pookie opened the beer, then leaned against the kitchen counter. He pulled out his phone and dialed. A sleepy voice answered. Hello. Robin, Robin, Bo Bobbin, how are they hanging? A sigh, the rustle of covers, the soft clink of a metal tag on a dog's collar. Pookie, they don't hang. In fact, I don't even have they. It's late and I'm exhausted. Are you okay? Right as rain, he said. I hear you're running the show at the M.E. office while Metz is out. Congrats, girl. Doesn't mean anything yet, she said. Just more work, but thanks. In the past 48 hours, I've talked to the mayor and Chief Sal. She called to tell me Verdi had the Oscar Woody case. He does, Pookie said. Bless Verdi's black, black heart. A pause. Why does he get it and not you guys? Pookie took a sip of beer. To be honest, Bo Bobbin, I'm not really sure. It's kind of... Well, it's kind of weird. Yeah, she said. Kind of weird on my end, too. How so? It's Verdi. I've worked with him before. He's usually okay. He's an asshat. Yes, but as far as asshats go, he's an okay asshat. You know what I mean. Anyway, he's not my favorite guy or anything, but he's fine to work with. Except for this case. He seems super intense. And it feels like he's rushing things. Rushing things. Pookie hadn't realized it until now, but that's exactly how he felt about Chief Zhao's actions. She was trying to hurry the case along as fast as possible. Bobobin, truth be told, I wasn't calling about Oscar Woody. Then get to the point so I can get some sleep. Pookie hesitated. If Brian found out about this call, he'd feel betrayed. Bros before hoes even though Robin Hudson was about as far from a hoe as one could get. Robin, do you think Brian could ever hurt someone? Like, really bad. And not just in self-defense or doing his job. Now she paused. He never laid a hand on me. Of course not, Pookie said quickly, apologetically. That's not what I mean. I'll just say that he's going through a tough time. And I really need the take of someone who's close to him. Was close. Pookie used a quick sip to hold back his laugh. <laughs> That's a good one, he said. If I say I believe that, will you also try to sell me a bridge? 
Come on, you guys are kidding yourselves. Pookie, I don't need a lecture on... Sorry, he said. Not trying to play matchmaker. Just, please, for me, answer the question. Do you think Brian is capable of a revenge attack? Or maybe even something unprovoked? He waited. The beer didn't taste like anything. Yeah, she said in a whisper. Yeah, I do. He'd known what her answer would be, because he'd already come to the same conclusion. But believing Brian was capable of it didn't mean that Brian had done it. Pookie would not turn his back on his friend. Thanks, Bobobbin. You're welcome. Take care of him, Pookie. I'm trying, darling, I'm trying. Night. He hung up. Please, God, don't let me be wrong about him. Chapter 38 Mr. Sandman This boy wasn't as stupid as the other one. This boy kept looking around, kept to the shadows, tried to stay out of sight. One womb. Brian looked down at the boy. He looked so tiny, like a little mouse. From this high above, everyone seemed small. The boy had a thin red goatee. He wore a crimson jacket with gold trim. A white sweatshirt hood was up over a crimson ball cap, sporting the gold initials B.C. The colors marked him. Marked him as a tormentor, as a torturer. The colors marked him for death. Brian felt that heat, that flush of stronger-than-life passion for the hunt. This boy was already on the run. He knew someone was out to get him. That would make him more dangerous prey. The boy looked up, but not at Brian. The boy turned his head this way and that, looking at every window, every doorway, even up to every rooftop, his head moving steady and smooth and non-stop. This boy knew his surroundings. He knew his turf. The whole city is our turf, asshole. Brian stayed very still. He let the prey waste its energy. Brian's soul tingled. His mind swam with the knowledge that this was the way life was meant to be lived. He'd been born for this. The boy walked west on Geary. He crossed Hyde, heading toward Larkin. Brian moved back, like a shadow, out of sight from anyone on the street. Clutching his blanket tied around his body, he jumped. A silent wind, moving from the roof of a parking garage to the tarred flat top of the Hara Bar. There Brian paused, freezing in place. He scanned the rooftop, the other buildings, looking for any sign of movement, any sign of the monster. He saw none, and that made him happy. With the barest of movements, Brian leaned out over the brickwork to look down to the street twenty feet below. Prey spotted. One womb, you motherfucking bully. There were very few people on the streets, but still enough to make it difficult. The boy wasn't far from Van Ness. Even in the pre-dawn hours, that road had enough traffic that you couldn't just grab prey and drag it into the shadows or pull it up onto the roofs. If the boy reached Van Ness, they'd have no choice but to wait and watch. He's a smart one, said the sandpapery voice to Brian's right. You got that right, fly, Brian said. Brian turned and saw a nightmare. A thick man with a heavy, dark blanket draped over his head and shoulders, 
The blanket covered him, but not all of him. A green face with a pointy snout caught the dim light, yellow eyes narrow with anticipation. The thick man smiled, revealing razor-sharp neon-white teeth. The nightmare spoke. This one is going to taste sweet. Brian woke up, screaming. He was going to kill that boy. No, no, not him. That monster. Blood pounding, adrenaline surging, his cock as hard as a railroad spike. Every ounce of him ached. Invisible jackhammers pounding away at his flesh. Even his bones hurt. His bedroom door flew open. Pookie slid in, gun in hand, eyes darting first to Brian, then around the room. Pookie knelt to look under the bed. Brian shook his head. No one here. A dream. Pookie stood. He looked scared. Scared of Brian. Maybe he should be. A dream, Pookie said. Like the last one? Brian coughed, nodded. So hot. He'd never felt this sick. Felt like something was attacking every ounce of his body. Yeah, like the last one. I think it's happening again. Pookie stared, blinked. You're telling me that someone's being murdered right now? That you dreamed it? Brian pushed his body out of bed. Heavy feet, still in his shoes, landed on the floor with a thump. Not yet, he said. Stalking him. Who is stalking him? I am. I mean, someone is. And I think I was in that someone's head. Something like that, anyway. Pookie's face showed he was having a hard time believing this. You're telling me someone is stalking this kid right this second. Brian rubbed his eyes, tried to breathe through his aching lungs, tried to think. They're going to take him down. He's at Gary and Hyde. We gotta go. I'll call it in, Pookie said. You're not going anywhere. Brian's hands drifted to his shoulder holster, empty. I need my weapon. I'd rather you went without. Pookie didn't trust Brian with a gun. Considering what Brian had put him through, that was probably smart. But Brian didn't have time to argue. Brian, forget it. You're in no shape to... No time, Brian said as he brushed past Pookie and stepped into the hall. He found his weapons piled up on the kitchen table, put them where they belonged, he turned back toward the front door to leave the apartment and found Pookie blocking his way. Pookie's gun was in his right hand. The barrel pointed at the ground. Brian, I can't let you go. Brian paused. His own partner had drawn on him. He didn't feel offended or insulted. Instead, he actually felt instant sympathy for Pookie's difficult position. But there just wasn't time for this. Pooks, I will not let that boy die. Call for backup. Come with me or stay here, but whatever you do, get the fuck out of my way. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Pookie's hand flexed on his Sig Sauer. Was he going to point it at Brian? Had it come to that? Brian turned and ran into his tiny kitchen. A second later, he heard footsteps behind him as Pookie reacted. The narrow kitchen window was hinged on the left side. It swung open like a door that led to the fire escape. Brian stepped out the window to the metal grate platform outside, the night welcoming him back to its dark embrace. It had rained while he slept. The metal rails felt icy cold on his hands. Before Pookie had even reached the kitchen, Brian had slid down to the third floor and was already descending to the second. By the time Pookie crawled out of the kitchen window, Brian's feet hit the first floor landing and slipped. His feet shot out from under him. The fire escape's wet, rusty metal smashed into his forehead. That pain added to his aches and fever, but he didn't let it stop him. He got back to his feet Instead of lowering the collapsible ladder to the sidewalk, he just hopped over the rail. Brian, stay there! Brian's feet hit concrete. He ignored his partner. The kid from his dream was going to wind up just like Oscar Woody. Brian had to stop that from happening. He felt blood sheeting down his face. His Nike slapped lightly against wet sidewalk as he sprinted toward Van Ness Avenue. Brian ran south on Van Ness the six lanes of sporadic 3 a.m. traffic moving along on his right. What few pedestrians there were got the hell out of his way. A black-clad, sprinting man with a Sig Sauer in his hand and blood streaming from his forehead didn't exactly court conversation. Despite his pain, his legs worked just fine. Long, loping steps threw him along. Everything whipped by so fast. As soon as this was over, he'd puke his guts out, he promised himself, but for now he had to ignore everything and get to that kid. Brian planted at Geary and turned left, momentum actually curving him off the sidewalk and into the road before he corrected. He heard sirens approaching, probably patrol cars already responding to Pookie's call. The sound echoed through the nighttime city canyons. Brian didn't know where to go, so he kept running. He crossed Polk Street, dodging a car as he moved from sidewalk to blacktop, then sidewalk again. Building walls shot by on his left, parked cars on his right. Movement from above. A burning body sailing off a rooftop four stories above. It blazed orange against the black night sky, a flailing comet trailing a tongue of fire that smashed into a white van, deeply denting the roof. Another flash of motion from up there. But whatever it was, Snake Man slipped out of sight behind the roof's edge. Brian ran to the van and jumped. He found himself on top of the deeply dented, smashed-in roof. The man was face down, small flames licking at his blackened clothes. Brian whipped off his jacket and covered him, patting him down, snuffing out the flames. 
The man moaned. Hold on, buddy. I got you. The sirens grew louder. Brian realized the man's jacket, where it wasn't blackened and melted, was crimson and gold. Boyko gear. It wasn't a man. It was a boy. The boy from his dream. Hurt, but not dead. Brian pulled out his cell and hit the two-way button. Pookie, you there? I'm here. He sounded out of breath. I'm a block and a half away. I see you. Brian looked down Geary. He saw Pookie running toward him. Get an ambulance. Brian slid the phone back in his pocket. Streetlights reflected off of the blood slowly pooling around the wounded kid, wet red smearing the van's white paint. Just take it easy, Brian said. I'm a cop. Help is on the way. He didn't want to move the boy, but broken bones or an injured spinal column didn't matter if Brian couldn't find the wound and stop the bleeding. I'm going to row you over. I'll do it slow, but it'll hurt. Did someone throw you off the roof? Jumped, the boy said, his words muffled because his face rested against the van roof. Had to get away. Get away from who? Devil, the boy said. Dragon. Brian rolled the boy over. Wide, frightened eyes stared out from a face covered with third-degree burns. Swollen blisters, some shiny white, some raw red, clustered on his cheeks, his nose, his mouth, his forehead, on almost every bit of exposed skin. His eyebrows and eyelids were gone as was most of the hair at his temples and on top of his head. Blackened clothes, the jacket and what looked like a football jersey, had melted onto him. A small but steady pulsing of blood bubbled up from the boy's abdomen. Brian moved in to apply pressure, but something on the boy's face froze him in place. A bit of red hair on the boy's lip, a bit more on his chin, the remnants of a scraggly goatee. Most of it had burned away, but enough remained for Brian to see the blistered face anew. A small part of him knew this was Jay Pilar. A bigger part of him, the part that took over, it recognized something else entirely. That part recognized the prey from his dream. One womb, motherfucker. A wave of hatred instantly bubbled up and boiled over into blinding, murderous rage. Brian stood and straddled the kid, his feet balancing on the dented, blood-streaked white metal. He reached to his shoulder holster, pulled his pistol, then pointed the barrel right between the boy's eyes. A charred hand rose up, palm out, as if flesh and bone would stop a bullet. You're a bully, Brian said. I'm going to kill you. The boy's oozing lips struggled to form words. Please, no. He didn't even have the energy to fight for his life. Brian thumbed back the P-226's hammer until it clicked. Long live the king, asshole. The boy's eyes widened. That's what the devil said. Brian leaned in. He rested the muzzle against the boy's forehead. The boy squeezed his eyes tight. Brian, put it down, now! Pookie's voice. 
Pookie's screaming voice. Brian blinked, looked down to the sidewalk. Pookie, his chest heaving, his gun drawn, his feet spread in a shooter's stance. Why the hell is my partner aiming at me? Drop it, Brian! Drop it right fucking now or I will put you down! Brian's rage evaporated into the cool night air. There was something in his hands. He looked. He was holding his gun, pressing the barrel against the forehead of a badly wounded 16-year-old boy. Brian decocked the Sig Sauer, then slowly slid the weapon into his shoulder holster. The gun's muzzle left an indented ring on the scorched, blistered forehead. The last of the boy's energy seemed to fade away like a long, final breath. He closed his eyes. He didn't move. Pookie scrambled onto the van's hood, then up onto the now-crowded roof. The boy's abdomen no longer pulsed blood. Pookie grabbed the boy's wrist, feeling for a pulse. Nothing! Shit! He looked up at Brian. What the fuck were you doing, man? Brian didn't answer. Pookie turned back to the boy. Left palm on the back of his right hand, Pookie started chest compressions. Brian's gaze drifted toward the buildings on the other side of Geary Street, at heads and bodies silhouetted in lit-up apartment windows. People were watching. As Pookie pumped, he again looked at Brian. Were you going to kill this kid? Brian blinked a few times, trying to collect his thoughts. Then the impact of Pookie's words hit home. No, Brian said. He fell. He was on fire. I put out the flames. I didn't touch him. Pookie's hands kept pumping. Didn't touch him except for putting your fucking gun against his forehead, right? And I saw you. I saw you jump up on this van. Eight feet up and you landed standing? How the hell did you do that? What the fuck was Pookie talking about? Brian couldn't do that. No one could. The fever swept over him again, hotter than before, as if it was furious at being ignored and wanted payback. The aches pinched his joints, his muscles. His face felt wet and sticky. He touched his fingertips to his forehead. They came back covered in blood. Pookie kept pumping, his arms straight, his hands on the boy's sternum. He stopped to press his fingers against the boy's neck. Brian waited hoping Pookie would feel something there, but Pookie's shaking head told him otherwise. Still no pulse. Pookie returned to chest compressions. The oncoming sirens screamed louder. Couldn't be long now. Brian watched Pookie try to save the boy. Maybe this was still the dream. Maybe if Brian had given first aid right away instead of putting a gun in the boy's face, the boy would still be alive. Brian, get off the van! Pookie said. Red and blue lights cut the night as patrol cars turned onto Geary. Brian looked down at the boy again, horribly burned, young body smashed from a four-story fall. If Brian hadn't dreamed about the kid, would this have happened? All that rage, all that hate. How could he feel that for someone he'd never even met? Brian! Pookie's yell yanked Brian back into the moment. Get down! his partner said. Let me handle this. You keep your mouth shut. Let me do the talking. Got it? Brian nodded. He slid off the van. 
Next thing he knew, he was sitting with his ass on the concrete sidewalk, his back against the building from which a flaming Jay Parlar had fallen to his death. Up on the van roof, Pookie kept pumping away on the boy's chest. Pulse or no pulse, he would continue to do that until the paramedics arrived. Brian closed his eyes. This was what it felt like to go insane. Chapter 39 Alex Panos Gets Gone A half block east of the ruined van, two teenage boys stood at the corner of Geary and Larkin, their heads peeking around just enough to watch the scene. Four police cars, an ambulance, and cops all over the place. One of the boys was much bigger than the other. The smaller one wore a black sweatshirt, hood pulled up over his head. His name was Isaac Moses. The other boy wore a crimson jacket with gold sleeves and a gold B.C. on the chest. His name was Alex Panos, and he wanted to know just what the hell was going on. Holy shit, Isaac said. Alex, that cop, I thought he was going to shoot Jay. Alex nodded. I recognize those pigs. The one in black is Brian Clauser. The fat one is Pookie something or other. They were at my house. At your house? Holy shit, man, holy shit, what are we going to do? Alex didn't know. He glanced at his friend's plain black sweatshirt. Isaac thought someone wanted to kill anyone wearing Boyko colors, so he didn't wear them. Alex had called Isaac a pussy for that. But after seeing what happened to Jay, maybe it was a good idea to lose the Boston College gear after all. Alex, man, I'm scared, Isaac said. Maybe we should go to the cops. Dumb shit, those are cops. Yeah, but you said they were in your house. And they didn't try anything, right? And that cop in black, he didn't actually shoot Jay. Besides, both cops were on the ground. They didn't set Jay on fire and throw him off the fucking roof of his own building, right? Alex looked back down the street. One of the cops that had visited his apartment, the one that dressed all in black, was in the back of the ambulance. A paramedic was working on his face. The other one, the fat chink, he was also around somewhere, but Alex didn't see him. Jay was still on the van roof. It didn't look like he was moving. A second paramedic was up there with him, but he didn't seem to be in much of a hurry. I think Jay's dead, Alex said. Isaac's face wrinkled. His blue eyes narrowed and started to tear up. Dead? Jay? Holy shit, man! Be quiet, Alex said. I gotta think. Isaac was right about one thing. The cop hadn't actually shot Jay. But maybe that was only because Jay was already dying from the fall. If Alex and Isaac had been just a couple of minutes earlier, would they be dead as well? What really mattered was that those two cops had come to Jay's place at three in the morning, and now Jay was dead. Isaac tugged at Alex's sleeve. Alex, come on, Isaac said. Let's go to the cops. Other cops, I mean. We're in a lot of fucking trouble. Alex shook his head. No way. Whatever cop we talk with, those two are going to know, and then they'll come for us. Cops stick with cops. They don't give a shit about the law or justice or whatever. We have to find a place to hide for a while. That, and we have to find guns. Alex ducked back behind the building out of sight of the cops swarming around Geary Street. He started walking north on Larkin, then stopped, reached back, grabbed Isaac, and dragged him away from the corner.
have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.